Good morning. It's Tuesday, October 6th, 2015. And yeah, it's Tech Talk Today, episode 214. And we just got off a big Microsoft event. I'm back in the studio. It's good to be back. I'm glad the show has returned. And thank you for letting me take a little time off from Tech Talk while I was on the road. You know, I thought about it. Conceptually, I thought recording the show would be very easy and straightforward because it's audio. But then in practice, I remembered I also have a video feed that goes with it. And I didn't really have a solid way to just whip that out while I was on the road. That's what she said. Anyways, we're back with episode 214. Let's bring in the Mumble Room. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hey, guys. So let's start uh, with the Microsoft announcements today because this uh, they just had Microsoft Day, basically, and they just got done live streaming a pretty impressive presentation. I'm going to underscore that later on in the show because for Microsoft, it actually was a pretty impressive presentation. Let's start with some of the smaller news to begin with. A new Microsoft Band is coming out beginning at 249. Looks much thinner, much better, more uh, more along what the lines it probably should have been as a product uh, with Cortana integrated now in addition to GPS tracking, sleep tracking, heart rate monitor, and other features found in the first band. So all that's in there. October 30th is the release day. I wonder how Cortana integration will go. Microsoft says it's the band that lets you get away from your phone instead of the instead of like a wearable that requires the phone. Kind of a dig maybe at the Apple Watch there. The next news item, Microsoft Surface Pro 4. Now, they say one of the things they've upgraded is the uh, type cover, but also the new machine is supposed to be – I'm going to get into some of the details, but the new machine is supposed to be a monster with five-point multi-touch support. Uh, there, it has a fingerprint sensor now. It's going to cost $899, and it also is using Gorilla Glass 4. And they do have, of course, because this is how everybody rolls now, they have a little bit of a video about it, which is fun. Let's take a look. And it's the fingerprint sensor by the uh, mouse. millimeters, 12.3-inch pixel sense display with 5 million pixels, palm detection parallax, magnetic pen storage, laptop class keyboard, faster and quieter typing with the thinnest type cover ever, they say, glass precision trackpad 40% larger with 5-point multi-touch support, hybrid cooling system, 6th gen i processor 16 gigs of ram 1 terabyte of storage front facing immersive audio and of course a mirrored reflective windows logo it's interesting, too, how uh, into the magnetics they are now. <laughs> yeah, one terabyte SSD is, of course, the high-end option. Uh, now, moving on, that'll be on available on October 26th. Now, here is, I, honestly, the story that it just feels like uh, the other stories just are dwarfed in comparison. Today, Microsoft has introduced the Surface Book, a convertible laptop. Now, they call it the Surface Book, and that was the first thing everyone reacted to. In fact, it took so many, it took, a, it took about 10 minutes in the chat room for people to sort of recoup after the announcement from the name. And what, what grabbed our attention after that was the specs. If you think about it, Surface Book is actually kind of a clever name in the sense that it almost conjures up immediately what you would think, a Surface-based laptop. Uh, it's 
much like the Surface Pro with a few extra surprises. This one has a 13.5-inch touchscreen with 6 million pixel sense pixels, they say, an NVIDIA GeForce discrete GPU with GDDR5 RAM. It also has a PCI Express-connected solid-state storage, so it's a very fast drive. And they did some really impressive demos in their in their presentation. Um, I wanted to uh, kind of talk about the presentation a little bit because uh, it was actually rather interesting. The presentation sort of had its own unique style than pretty much any other tech presentation for an event like this. Uh, the uh, presenter's name is a little challenging, but uh, <laughs> in fact, I don't even remember. Mumbleworm, what was the presenter's name? I already forgot what it was. Panos Pane? Yeah, that's what it was, Panos, yeah. Uh, he did a, didn't you think he did a pretty good job and in, his own, in his own way? He sounded better than Sache. Yeah, he did. He and he had uh, he seemed really passionate uh, uh, about the uh, product, and uh, that seemed like that combined with what seemed to be a relatively compelling offer- offering. I mean, he's got an i7 processor in this thing, and the discrete GPU does make it stand out from other devices in the 13-inch form factor. And then the thing that really seemed to be rather fascinating about it is that it separates off from the keyboard, and it's still a tablet. Now you don't get discrete graphics in that mode. And you don't get USB ports in that mode, and you likely get reduced battery life, and of course you lose the keyboard. But it becomes a full-fledged x86 tablet. The question is, is there is there a big demand for for a Microsoft-built laptop like this? Optically designed, they say. Every line will be intentional. Uh, it's f- about $1,500 reasonably specced. I don't know, Mumbaroon, would any of you be compelled to buy something like this? Me, not so much, because I'd rather get a System76, but, you know, maybe maybe a power user for um, Office might need it. No, I don't think so. That seems like the Surface Pro for the if you just want to run Office. This thing's got some serious... I mean, they, they demoed CAD, they demoed Premiere Pro, uh, video editing, they demoed, like, really high-end stuff. So, I, to me, it seems like this is not meant for casual people at all. The, the line I think a lot of people in our audience are going to draw is, could you run other operating systems on it? And I, I'm wondering the way this connector works, if that's going to be possible or not. The way this connector works, it could be just PCI pass-through, as we were speculating, or it could be some sort of hybrid approach to make the live ripoff possible, where you can just disconnect it, and it transfers to tablet mode, which means in an instant it's going to have to transfer discrete graphics, disconnect from all of its USB devices, and any, in any kind of type of USB device you might have plugged in at the base, and also switch to a different bank of batteries, potentially. That might require some sort of software middle layer that means it might never work with Linux. Then again, this is a great opportunity for Microsoft to show the new Microsoft and show that they could build a hardware product that can work with other operating systems, a hardware product that doesn't require Windows. Because one of the things they said in their, in their, in their wrap-up is that people don't require Windows, they want Windows. They want to make sure people want Windows. Well, build your hardware that way then. Any other thoughts, you guys? Interesting that Microsoft, just by waiting until hardware got powerful enough, has actually managed to converge on one operating system for all these devices. Ah, the magic word. I wondered if that would come up. Convergence. So is this Microsoft arriving at convergence first? I mean, it it very practically, I guess, is, isn't it? Because you disconnect... And it converts to a tablet, and you reconnect, and it converts to a full laptop. Yeah, the same week that Google announces the Pixel C, and strangely, it doesn't run Chrome OS. It runs Android. Android, yeah. 
I'm still wondering about the GPU in the base. I want to know if it's like a full on like entry level GPU that most gamers get, or is it something that you see in the laptop that's just a basic GPU that will really determine to be what kind of product this is? And I guess I'll have to wait for the tech specs on it. Yeah, we well. So what we do know is it's a that with all they the only thing they said is that when you're using an in, when you're using the integrated graphics, that's likely an, a Skylake integrated GPU. And when you're using the discrete graphics, it's an Nvidia it's an Nvidia it's an Nvidia GeForce GPU, and it's going to be something that has GDR GD GDR five. So that's going to be any class of GeForce GPU that has GDR five. Um, so that probably narrows it down there. I'm and I'm betting based on the so the he, the the two demos they showed that clearly do show pretty good discrete um, GPU performance is they did uh, real time transitions between HD clips in Premiere, which the reason but the, the the thing that was unique about that demonstration was that the crossfade happened with with full frame rates. Usually when you're playing in Premiere, you'll lose a few frames at best on a good system right there. And they had zero frame loss when they were switching between the transition clips. That means that an entire transition happened on the GPU completely. And then also the other thing that they demonstrated was real-time editing of an AutoCAD file, which, you know, wasn't incredibly impressive, but did show it immediately rendering the modifications to the AutoCAD file. Which would to me would probably and then you know they showed some gameplay, but the gameplay was video re- uh, recorded. It wasn't real gameplay. It was they pre-recorded it. Uh, but it, to me, it indicates probably a pretty powerful GPU in there, and it's definitely better than. See, here's the key thing, though: is it really just has to be better than the integrated GPU because that's what pretty much all the other 13-inch laptops. Well, looking mostly at the MacBook, the, which is where they're losing their ass to. See, the problem Microsoft has here is that when when developers are buying the MacBook, they're buying the MacBook because it. If you're if you're looking at the market for at like Dell. Lenovo, maybe HP, and Apple, and you're a hipster developer. Not to be disparative there, but let's just, you know we're just making it. We're just boiling it down to basics here. Microsoft is losing their ass to the MacBook in that when when you stack up that category of things. Well, some of the some of the fastest growing platforms are exactly those kinds of developers: Android developers, Mac developers, iOS developers, and web developers. A lot of those guys and gals are buying MacBooks to do their development on. They don't need Windows. And some of them are still running Linux. Some of them are using Linux, absolutely, especially a lot of the web development category. But you, you know if you're, if you're developing for iOS or the Mac platform, you know what you're buying. And if you can develop for iOS and continue to develop for the web, in some cases, it's more economical and sensible to get the MacBook. Because if you have to have the MacBook to do the iOS development and you can still develop for other platforms on the MacBook, like Android and the web... Microsoft is losing their ass to that, and it's obvious. So this is clearly a respondent to the MacBook. So when they are competing now to the MacBook in price, they're, 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 they're well, you know, I don't know. This actually, so this thing starts at fourteen hundred dollars, and that's the base. That's the base config. Uh, we don't have a we don't have a way to configure one yet. I don't believe. But if we go over to uh, the Mac Store, so if we go to Apple.com and we go look at the MacBook, the thirteen-inch MacBook, what price does it start at? Let's see. I'm going to say buy. And the Apple MacBook starts at, of course, you have the MacBook One. So you have a couple of different uh, options here. But the MacBook starts at $1,299. So $200 less. Oh, you can't quite see. It's cut off. But it's $200 less. And this is what they're currently competing against. 
I'm going to say design for design, this is a better looking device. But from a hardware spec, they're kicking its ass. And for a couple hundred dollars more, it's a pretty obvious, uh, it's a pretty obvious improvement. Discrete GPU. Uh, well, this also has PCIe storage. Um, Apple has really been kicking ass on their PCIe-based storage for a while now, so Microsoft kind of had to do that. So this, this is what they're competing against, though, in my estimation, is the MacBook and the MacBook Pro 13-inch and things like that, and they have MacBook Air. And so if they have a GPU, if they have a discrete GPU from NVIDIA, right there out of the gate, they're be- you're better off. And, they're, and they just also announced the Visual, the Visual Studio tools are getting improvements in GPU uh, compiling. So I think they probably have a competitive product for a certain category of people. And they also have a product that's going to you know, be great for like the Paul Therots and Mary Jo Foley's out there who are big Windows fans. But I think for me, I would actually be – you know, it's got a backlit keyboard. I like that. It's got all these things. What I would really like to – the only way I would vote with my wallet for this is if they had built it in such a way that allows me to run other operating systems on there. If it's locked down to Windows, I can't, I can't vote for that. That's sort of where I would draw the line. Um, we're going to play the introduction clip to this thing because it's actually pretty interesting uh, at the end of the show today as a wrap-up video. But, guys, any other thoughts on the Surface book before we move on? It might be interesting as a Linux machine even if uh, you just stay on the Intel integrated graphics all the time. Yeah, that would be a shame, you know, because there's, there's definitely probably $150, $200 of price in this thing around that G- – well, I don't know if it's that high. But, you know, there's definitely a premium for that discrete GPU. Um, yeah, you know, I use uh, I use GNOME three on my XPS thirteen, and uh, it is kind of nice every now and then just to touch the screen a little bit. Like uh, especially when I'm showing the computer to somebody else and they have it, and I can just reach over and touch it. That is really nice. Oh, one other um, one other thought I had about this is the resolution on this thing. I don't know if the chat room has the uh, the actual details, but you know the way that the marketing speak here is it has a six million pixel screen. With pixel sense text touchscreen technology, a six million pixel screen. What does that exactly mean, resolution wise? I take it it means it's it's very high resolution. In fact, they say it's a it's the highest in class. So it's it's obviously a high DPI display. I just don't know how high of a DPI it is, but uh, three thousand by two thousand resolution. Oh, okay, okay. So um, does what in Windows is high is really set up for high DPI? I mean. Is Windows really that great on a high DPI display? My last experience with it was basically it just looked like a lot of the UI elements get scaled up. They don't. It doesn't actually look like pixel doubling is happening or it just looks like the GDI interface gets double drawn and that's what you get. I mean, just like it looks like the Metro apps look fine, but they just scale like they do with everything else. But the Windows, like the copy, file, copy dialog and things like that, the file menu, like it all looks like it's just been scaled up. And maybe my experience... Is, is maybe it's changed more with Windows 10 because I, I, I did try it actually under Windows 10. That was where I was trying it under. Um, so I'm not, I'm not totally convinced on what's super compelling about having a really high-resolution display on a Windows computer unless you're looking at photos or they mentioned Flipboard. But I don't, I don't know. So, wow, Imacon comes in with a little pricing. Apparently he was able to spec it for us. So if you get the i7... Service book with 16 gigabytes of RAM, 512 gigabytes of storage. It's $2,700. Yikes. $2,700. They're going to probably... And then the other thing was with this one is this is the first generation. And you know they're probably going to stick to this thing for a little while. 
So it's worth probably another rev, especially since this is their first laptop ever. <laughs> it's not like it's like the first generation of a new product line. Well, it is, but I mean, it's not like they have had other product lines to begin with. I mean, yes, they have Surface Pro experience, I guess. So yeah, I suppose. I mean, yeah, I just I'm not with for twenty for two thousand seven hundred dollars, I could buy a lot of computer. I could buy a lot more. The main thing there I would want for that is a lot more storage. A lot more storage. $2,700, is that even higher than Apple pricing? I mean, that's, like, I mean, that's, like, what kind of machine would you get? I mean, uh, look, let's just go, okay, I'm going to go look. Mac, And let's go, now we're going to go MacBook Pro. Let's go MacBook Pro. It's going to be about a, the price of a 15-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. That's what, super up. that's what I was thinking, right? So I'm looking MacBook Pro category now. So the 13-inch, so the 13-inch tops out at 1799 and that gets you 2.9 gigahertz processor, 512 gigabytes of PCI Express storage. Now you're using the uh, Intel graphics, but it's the Iris 6100, uh, and you get their touchpad. So when you get up to, uh, wow, so for $2,500, $2,499, you get the 15-inch MacBook Pro with a 2.5 gigahertz i7 with turbo boost up to 3.7 gigahertz. 16 gigabytes of RAM, 512 gigabyte PCIe storage, AMD Radeon R9 M37X M370X GPU with 2 gigabytes of RAM for 2500. I mean that would probably be the better buy unless you really wanted the 13-inch form factor. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out for them. I don't know. I mean, Apple's GPU, I don't know how... We don't really quite know what the Surface GPU is, but I'm never super impressed with the GPUs Apple chooses either. All right, well, let's just wrap up with one more sort of thing coming down the road. Maybe the product that some of you care more about is HoloLens. We got a little bit of details on HoloLens. The first public version won't be for consumers. It's going to be for developers coming in Q1 2016. So that probably means the end of Q1. Who knows? Uh, For three thousand dollars guys three thousand dollars yeah yikes that's my that's my broken bell for that one uh it's going to be comparable to the units demonstrated earlier this year though microsoft says no information is is like specifics but earlier this year we learned the hardware has an x86 processor in it with two gigabytes of ram 802.11ac and it uses a 60 hertz refresh rate so that's probably what the developer edition will be like for three thousand dollars makes that google class for 1500 seem like a deal (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if only if, I never thought I'd say the day see the day where Google Glass looked like a better deal for $1,500 but there you go wow you know for a product that is I mean $3,000 that's that's to is that maybe just to keep the uh, like you know the problem with this product too is like we're looking at an image right now but that's not what the experience looks like at all one of the things, one of the big things you have to remember about this is it's 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 got a very narrow field of view. It's like looking, it's like, so the, the, see, this is what drives me crazy about the Microsoft product shots is they make it look like this completely immersive environment and you'd have to be watching the video version to see what I'm talking about right now. But in reality, it's a narrow, narrow field of view. It's like looking through um, a slot uh, for like, you know, those old slides as a kid. It is... Uh, it's like a, like the like the width of uh, a long pack of cards. It's about the height of a pack of cards and longer. It's not you don't get the whole field of view like they show in these product demos. Now I wouldn't I would think for three thousand dollars they'd at least be giving you a little bit better of idea what you're actually going to get. Yeah, a bit misleading, especially in, like North Ranger points out when they're doing the Minecraft stuff. So let's talk about one of my favorite products out there. The Roku is getting an update. Roku 4, which will support 4K video. And I don't know exactly what this means, but it's going to allow you to follow your favorite shows. 
I, I do that with something called Sick Rage and Usenet. But anyways, Roku is, has announced the new device, the Roku 4, and it's going to have 4K video with 60 frames per second, better Wi-Fi with 802.11ac built into the box, HDMI and Ethernet, and USB will also still be available. Thank you, Roku, for keeping the Ethernet. We appreciate that, uh, especially those of us who spent money to get Ethernet run in our living room. Here's a new one, though. Optical audio. So you can just hook up, like, you know, the sound bars are becoming really, really common now. And uh, a lot of them connect over optical, so you'll be able to patch that right in. Or, of course, a standard receiver. Uh, now, I don't know if you guys heard, because Tech Talk was on break, but um, Amazon actually is pulling the Roku. So we're not quite sure what's going to happen there. Maybe Amazon will create an app and then put it back. But this is also going to ship with Roku OS 7. I don't know exactly what the big thing is there, but it introduces the follow feature and the my feed function, which all sound like features I don't want. I just really wanted to play. Uh, I just really, really wanted to play uh, Roku. Uh, I mean, uh, Plex and uh, Netflix. What uh, what throw me off here is um, it looks like it's going to come with a thousand channels now. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, but Roku insists that healthy audiences for niche channels are in there, and it says that they're more growing all the time. Huh. It points to examples of an autism channel for parents and caregivers of people with autism. JW Broadcasting for Jehovah Witnesses says you can find a lot of interesting stuff on Roku. And I agree. In fact, we have a Jupiter Broadcasting channel on Roku, which you can find out about. I think if you just Google for it, you'll probably, it'll probably come up. Uh, and the new unit looks uh, kind of um, like it's been flattened down a little bit from the old one, like a pancake been squished down. But it looks, it looks pretty good. And it's not bad. Oh, 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 oh. And this is probably my favorite feature, which I almost completely forgot to mention. They're still including the headphones with the remote. So those of you who are not familiar, I love this feature on Roku where uh, you can be watching TV and, like, say your significant other or your kids are going to bed and you want to be able to still watch TV but not have to, you know, the sound wake them up. You plug headphones into the remote and it uses Bluetooth audio to switch the audio from the TV to the headphones. And right there with the remote, it's super convenient. Uh, but the other thing that the Roku 4 is introducing is a Find Me button, which you push on the Roku itself and it pings the remote. My kids lose the remote all the time. So that is a great feature. And I'm going to give, uh, since we're going a little long here, I'm going to give a shout out. Uh, Android 6.0 launched yesterday. Marshmallow. Marshmallow. Um, and uh, it doesn't fix some of the problems I wanted fixed. Mainly a unified way for all Android devices to get updated. But if you've got a Nexus device, you can get the update right now. And uh, there is a very comprehensive review over at Ars Technica. It is 12 pages long. And the one I'm going to be reading about, I was just ranting and, and raving about this on the pre-show, is Direct Share. Uh, now in the Share menu, you can have, I don't know exactly what it does, but my understanding is Direct Share is going to be a great way to file tra- to do you know obviously big large file transfers off Android devices. And while I was on my road trip, I was recording some of the videos on my S6, and then what <laughs> then I would get back to do editing, and I would have no internet connectivity, especially what happened when I was at the Grand Tetons uh, National Park and I was camping. Is there was no signal, nothing. I mean, it is a dead zone. There's no nothing. And so uh, I all of a sudden realized how difficult it is to actually get really large files off an Android device when you can't like upload it to Dropbox or OneDrive or Google Drive or OwnCloud. Like you just really get limited and you have to break out a USB cable and monkey at it like an animal. And thankfully, Linux makes actually that process quite easy, but other operating systems do not. It was really kind of... I was just thinking, there. why isn't there more of a direct send system that just goes from machine to machine? So hopefully, I'm going to read the review and find out if that's what it is. I'll have it linked in the show notes. It's 12 pages long, so I don't think we'll be going through it 
right here in the show. Now that I'm back, I'd, I'd really like to draw attention to how much we need your support right now at patreon.com slash today. I think a, 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 you know, a multitude of factors experimenting with our last format, which is kind of unfortunate, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, and probably you know, the latest thing is the Patreon hack hasn't helped. Uh, and thankfully, uh, the Patreon hack seems like it's not as impactful for the end users. It's more impactful for content creators. But the end result is we're down to 551, and we were up to 560 just a little bit ago. And I would love to see us try to get back up to 560 patrons as we are very ambitious here and do not want to slow down and do not want to reduce staff. I want to grow, and I want to also continue to make the content better. That's why I get up every single morning. And I need your help and your support over at patreon.com slash today. Also, speaking of the last format change, we're going to have a format update uh, in this week's episode of the Linux Action show on Friday. So tune in for that if you're curious about that. I wanted to just address it really quickly, though. I think, I think it's probably uh, in, in, in the long-term health for our shows, a very good thing that from time to time, we don't get too scared to experiment. Even with the big show, I think it's important to realize it is a podcast and it needs to be a little weird and indie sometimes. We need to be able to tweak things and experiment with things because we don't want to just get old and stale because it's comfortable. And uh, sometimes, sometimes I think that process, because it's not a big production with a huge staff behind it that take a season break and then reformulate the show and then come back with a new style, a new package. Instead, it's every single week we iterate and it's done out in the open, much like the operating system we all follow. I think sometimes in the thick of things, in the debate, in the process, people get disenfranchised and leave instead of sticking around and continuing to support for the long-term evolution. Now, there's parallels you can draw to big controversies in the open source community when some new thing is being rolled out, (laughs) and then people bail and get very upset and people burn off. But over time, things work their way out. Organically, things become very natural. This is very much the way podcast works. If you are changing something that is produced every single week, that process has to be done. That experimentation has to be done out in the open or else there would be no show while we reformulated. I don't want the audience to get discouraged when that happens, though, because we still are monitoring your feedback. And more than ever, when we're doing something like this, we've brought in new editing staff. We've brought in – we've bulked up on research. We're doing all these things now that are leaps of faith, and we need your support to, to, to be able to keep doing them. Patreon.com slash today. I would very much appreciate your support. If you have someone maybe that's been listening and they've never uh, contributed, maybe suggest to them they do contribute, now would be a good time for people to do so. Now, we're going to end with the Microsoft Surface Book. And by the way, it's Surface Space Book, not MacBook, which is one word. So there you go. I didn't rip that part off. So the Microsoft Surface Book, when they first first ran this video, they paused it right before they snapped the machine apart. And then they say – then they waited until after the presentation to reveal that little bit. It was actually a pretty good sleight of hand. I got to give it to Microsoft on the Surface Book book introduction. I think for as long as I've been watching the company – it's probably their best product introduction ever. The ending was a little long and drawn out, but the actual product introdu- introductions and the style and the reverence that guy had in the way he did it was unique, and I really enjoyed it. And the video production is pretty top-notch, so we'll end right there. That'll probably – wow. Wow, that's probably my quota of positive Microsoft things I'm going to say for the year. Whew, got that out of the way. <laughs> All right, techtalktoday.reddit.com. Help contribute to the stories and the content and the community you'd like to see in the show, techtalktoday.reddit.com. And don't forget jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for live times. will be live tomorrow. I believe Angela, if all goes as planned, will be joining us in studio. We'll probably get a little bit later start, but she'll be joining us. And then Thursday and Friday, I plan to have shows. However, I may 
update the calendar depending on uh, my uh, where I end up parking the trailer and uh, getting all that settled. But I'll keep you guys updated either way on the calendar at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And I appreciate everybody who made it live in the mumble room. Thanks for coming back, guys. It was good to chat with you. And I invite you out there listening to join us live tomorrow in the mumble room. We'll even have probably a little bit later start since I'll be waiting for Ange. And uh, you should be able to make it in there. At, uh, just go to jblive.tv and in the chat room, bang mumble, and it will give you the address of destination. It's very secret. No one knows it. I don't know why we do it that way. Maybe it's to make everybody feel really cool. No. All right. Thanks for joining me and enjoy this Microsoft product demo. It's actually not half bad. Mm-hmm.